I didn't quite know I was writing a book at the beginning. I was just gathering information and writing essays. And I was like, what am I going to do with all this? Is it going to be a, a magazine or a zine or it's way too long for a medium post? You know, a couple friends were like, it sounds like you're writing a book, Kat. And I was like, yes, I, I am writing a book. <laughs> hey, friend, it's David Abinsky here in New York City. So excited for this Portfolio Career podcast episode with Kat Velos. She recently published the book, We Should Get Together. You'll learn how she was writing the book while she was also working full-time in addition to other projects, and the reception that she's gotten from the marketplace related to collaborations, partnerships, and consulting opportunities. Such an inspiring message and reminder that you don't know what will happen once you put your work and art out into the world, and so I would encourage you to do so. Um, Kat has spent much of her career in UX design, You'll hear how even when she was working for companies like Slack and Pandora, she always made sure to have another creative project and outlet for herself. Um, she's also currently a connection coach, and you'll learn here, uh, which was a big part of uh, the book, and you'll learn here how to improve your friendships and being intentional with them and so many other great actionable insights. Also hear a very special, heartfelt moment at the end of this uh, podcast episode, I, and I hopefully that that inspires you to take some action as well. As always, this episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with Kat. Welcome, Kat. Um, so Kat, if we were to go to an event tonight, how do you typically introduce yourself? Hi, yeah. So I typically would say that I'm a user experience designer, an author, and a connection coach. For years, I uh, would say that I was also a facilitator to introduce myself. But uh, since facilitator isn't very specific or you know exactly what they do, I've switched to saying connection coach because that's a much clearer sense of what I focus on and what my approach is. Um, but typically, I would say I'm a designer and facilitator. Um, I've been practicing both design and facilitation since the early 2000s, and I've done thousands of hours of design and thousands of hours of group programs during that time. And those are the things that drive my world. Amazing. And it may be likely that, or it's possible that during that event, you may bring up uh, the chance and the possibility to have something better than small talk. <laughs> yes, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so for, for listeners that don't know, uh, better than small talk was... Um, a project of yours and specifically around how to have better conversations. And I actually was curious to, to start off with and, and maybe use one of your questions with like, what has made you feel alive recently, which I thought was a really uh, fascinating question. Mm. Something that has made me feel alive recently has been uh, spending a little bit of time in nature and particularly in my garden, um, which is like one of my favorite places to be. It's just seeing all the things growing here in California too, like the fruits are ripening and they're starting to like blossom. And it's just like summer is my favorite season. And I just getting to be outside in the sun, um, in the garden with the plants makes me feel alive. What about you? You know, every podcast recording makes me feel alive. Um, mm. The entire process of, you know, and it's a design to some extent, right? It's an outreach email. It's, is somebody going to say yes, hopefully, you know, and how do I uh, craft an experience that hopefully um, is inviting to somebody else? There's, you know, kind of tension related to that. Um, you know, then there's the prep, there's the learning, and then there's um, this experience and this special moment here. So 
um, yeah, that's what's made me feel alive. Mm, nice. And speaking of projects and, and kind of creating your own work, you recently published a book called We Should Get Together. Um, yeah. And I would love to just hear a little bit of the backstory of you know, why you decided to write the book. And yeah, maybe that's just a good place to kind of start off with just why were you interested in writing this book? Yeah. So for folks who are listening who don't know, we should get, the full title is We Should Get Together, The Secret to Cultivating Better Friendships. And I wrote this book. It happened really organically, David. You know, I, you know, I've lived in multiple states. I've moved a lot of times. Um, I've never had a hard time making friends. But then when I moved to San Francisco in 2014, um, I suddenly did. Like, it wasn't that it was hard to meet new people. It wasn't hard to quote unquote, you know, make friends. Like, we, you know, meet interesting people you want to talk to. But what was difficult was transcending the canyon between being acquaintances and having closer, deeper friendships with any kind of regularity. So it wasn't enough to me to like, you know, meet up with a friend two or three times a year or to um, have all this excitement around a new friendship. And then it just like faded away. And it was very puzzling to me. It was, it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. Uh, maybe a little bit in Seattle, it was that way, but it was really different here. And so I was talking to people about it. Um, and as a facilitator, as I mentioned, like one of my like primary go-tos when I'm trying to deal with any kind of like social situation is like, we should get together. We should like talk about this. We should do something about this. And so um, the more people I talked to about it and the people who came to my gathering, Better Than Small Talk, um, were all saying that they were having the same issue too. And I got really just kind of obsessed with this topic of adult friendship and connection. And around this time, I was also, you know, hearing a lot in the news about the loneliness epidemic in the United States and around the world. Um, you know, the former Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, you know, has traveled and talked to people around the country and really describes what he found, which was this profound sense of loneliness that he observed in communities around the country. And so as a user experience designer, um, one of my, that's my job is to understand what people are going through, to understand if there's a task they're trying to achieve that they're having difficulty with, and then researching that and designing ways to solve it, solve that problem. And so um, that's what I did. I used my skills as a facilitator to experiment on some of those hypotheses around like, how could we have better conversations? How can we get closer together in a shorter amount of time? And as a designer, you know, experimenting with interaction, like trying things, um, looking at human to human interaction and learning from people's stories, doing like just so many interviews with people from their 20s through their 70s around the country who did not have the level of connection that they wanted in their platonic relationships. Um, so we talk a lot in our society about like, you know, unrequited love. Like if somebody wants a relationship, there's like endless movies about that. It's like, oh, someone's trying to find love. But we don't talk about when somebody wants better friendships and doesn't really know what to do to solve that problem. And so, uh, yeah, I combined all of my research skills, design skills, facilitation skills into uh, writing about this. And it was probably about, I had about 10,000 words when, uh, 
I didn't quite know I was writing a book at the beginning. I was just gathering information and writing essays. And I was like, what am I going to do with all this? Is it going to be a, a magazine or a zine or it's way too long for a medium post? You know, a couple friends were like, it sounds like you're writing a book, Kat. And I was like, yes, I, I am writing a book. <laughs> and so uh, from there, yeah, things took shape much more clearly after that. But I didn't know at the beginning when I was just kind of writing my essays and combining like interviews. I was like, what is this going to be? And it turned into a book and uh, I'm quite proud of it. And a lot of people from around the country and around the world uh, have said it's really helped them understand friendship in a deeper way, uh, whether that's in their personal life or in their professional colleague relationships and the teams they're on and uh, giving them the tools to really have more meaningful connection in life. Yeah. It's, um, you know, somebody that's living here in New York city and previously lived in San Francisco and Washington DC before then it's, um, there, there's not tools or resources for, I'd say single people, um, you know, as they get older on how to call it, you know, you can change jobs, but how do you reinvent or find new friends and new communities and stuff? There's just hasn't, there's not that many resources and I'd probably say I got very lucky in finding a great group of friends. Um, and so thank you for doing this work. And what are some of the different ways that you've kind of seen people organize and um, build better uh, relationships um, intentionally? So intentionally is the key word in that question. A lot of times when folks have had the experience as children or as youth of just having their friendships magically happen where, you know, their classmate kind of turned into their best friend or their like dorm room buddy, like turned into their best friend. It can be disorienting to suddenly get into adulthood and to realize that that doesn't just always magically spontaneously occur when you're an adult. Um, you're Just because you live next door to somebody doesn't mean you're going to become best friends with them. Just because you work with somebody doesn't mean you're going to become best friends. And so a lot of the um, expectations that I think may have been set in youth, like don't translate to adult life where folks are busy, they have more demands, their time is less, maybe they have a relationship or children, or they're caring for elderly parents, or there's just so many more competing interests. And so intention is really, really key. So one of the things that I talk about in the book is about consistency and dependability. You know, Instagram has kind of trained us to look for like a big, shiny, like perfect image of like, you know, friends together on a vacation or something. It's like, that's what friendship looks like, is like this happy group photo at like some very picturesque spot. But that is great and also lovely. But really what it comes down to is being consistent in really small ways repeatedly in each other's lives. And that is how, in a way, like friendship becomes a habit. And it's not just for one big splashy event or two or for a birthday party, but it's like, is that person there and a regular integrated part of your life? And with that, the second thing that's really important is about intimacy and vulnerability. So it's one thing to make small talk with each other about the weather or about the news or what you ate that day. And those things are meaningful because it helps you know what the context of someone's life is. But to get closer in friendships, it really takes um, effort and intentionality around choosing to be more invitational with inviting people to talk about things that are more meaningful and also taking the risk to open up yourself and talk about things that are more meaningful as well, um, even if that's not what the other person is leading with. 
Um, it's really, it's so key. It's both of those things are really, really key to having more meaningful connection in adulthood. And uh, so consistency, intentionality, vulnerability, and, and speaking of design, it's interesting to hear you say how the book just kind of naturally ha- or unexpectedly and organically kind of happened in the context of, you know, a lot of your work is around design. Um, so it's just uh, interesting to hear that. And I'm c- curious to hear a little bit more about like, were you working full time? Were you also um, working on some of your side projects and side communities? Like, how are you paint a picture a little bit of like, how are you able to start working on writing the book and while balancing a lot of other things? Yeah. So to address your first question, you know, it was the work that I was compiling during the time that I was like doing these interviews and investigating this topic of connection and community, it was taking its shape in different like miniature forms of design. So like one of the things was I had a gallery on the website that had like portraits and interviews that I was doing with each person. And so the design at that moment was like, this is a portrait and interview series. And so that was the design it took. And then I took that apart and reformed it when I was putting the book together. Um, And the design of the event was a separate experience that was like a separate component that later got woven into the book. So there was some design, but it wasn't a book from the start. So I want to clarify that. Mm -hmm. Um, And as far as how I had the time to do this while I was working as well is that, you know, when I get really passionate about something, I will find the time to do it. Uh, I don't watch TV. You know, I, for most of the time I was working on this book, I didn't even have a Netflix account. Um, I don't really have like a regular TV show that I keep up with. So I'm often like out of touch on like cultural pop culture stuff. Like when people were talking about Game of Thrones, I've like never seen it. (laughs) I never read like any of like Harry Potter Hunger Games until like this year, like after the book was done, I was like, oh, let me check out that stuff people talk about. Um, But I'm really dedicated to completing a goal when I set my mind to it. And so, uh, for example, with my schedule, I might, I was working full time during this whole process. And so you know, nine to five plus commute time in the morning, commute time at night, that was busy. So at night I would set aside two, three nights a week where from like 10 PM to midnight, I would work on my book. You know, some people like to get up at five in the morning and do it until seven before they go to work. I don't want to get up at five in the morning, but I'm a night owl. And so it's, it's much more pleasant to me to stay up a couple nights a week and work on it as well as blocking off like maybe a five or six hour chunk on the weekend to do that. So I was like definitely having a schedule um, once I got really serious that I was going to finish this book and hit my deadline to get it out on time. And so that is how I spent my time, you know, and I would much rather be creating something than just passively consuming. So while I do love books, I would balance out my reading time with my writing time and also being aware of how I was using my time again, like by cutting out things that were to me non-essential. So not TV, not a whole lot of movies, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And speaking of being intentional with time and, and how have you thought about kind of growing personal consulting type of work while also, you know, working at Pandora, Slack and um, startups of that nature? How how do you kind of think about uh, for somebody that is, you know, earlier on in their career is getting started and is, you know, is trying to figure out like, where do I go? What do I do? And, um, you know, I want to do stuff that's in my own name, but I also want to work at a large company. And um, yeah, any kind of lessons learned as throughout your career and, and how, how can somebody kind of be like the startup of them? 
Mm. Like the startup of themselves, you mean? Yeah. (laughs) So at my very first job out of college, I was working for a magazine that uh, was focused on like arts and culture and investigative journalism. And one of the things I quickly realized as a young graphic designer was that if I was going to have a job working for somebody else, there was always going to be someone else who could say yay or nay on the thing I had created. And in that case, it was the publisher. You know, I might, I was designing the cover every single week and the editorial layout. And there were times when the publisher was like, no, I don't want this, like do it over. (laughs) Um, And that's just a part of having a job. And I made a commitment to myself, David, like very early on when I was like 21, I was like, as long as I work for other people where I don't have total control over what I'm creating, and I'm essentially like bartering my creative skill in exchange for money, I will always do something that's just for myself where I have total control over that thing. And that was the deal I made with myself to participate in capitalism. I was like, I'm not only going to use my skill in exchange for money, I'm also going to use my skill when it's my vision, my way of doing it. Like I get to decide from A to Z, like how it's going to look, what it's going to feel like, what it's going to be. And that's the commitment I made to myself. And that's how I've always done it. So I have had full-time work the majority of that time. And I've also sometimes done freelance on the side of that so that I could still use my design skills and work with clients in a way where I get to be in the driver's seat. Like I'm the boss of that decision. Um, And I love having that partnership with clients and I love having um, the ability to express my creativity where like someone else isn't deciding yay or nay on it. And when I was working on the book, you know, even though a writing project is different than say like designing a website for somebody, they're both still the same process to me of design and creativity. It's like you have a vision, you have a focus, and then you execute on that vision. And so it's the same. It's the same to me. There were times during working full-time where I didn't have bandwidth to take on any side clients. So my freelance business kind of went up and down in according to my energy, my availability, but it was really at my own choice. And now after the book was released, the world told me, hey, Kat, we need you to do this work full-time. And that was through the level of collaborations and partnerships and requests for my work as that connection coach and facilitator and designer and UX designer that that there were just so many opportunities and and requests for me to share those gifts with the world that I left my full-time job at Slack so that I could do this full-time. And and, it was time also, but it was really out of... um, very clear understanding that I was like, there's no way I could say yes to all these other things and also work a full-time job. Like it's one thing to write on your computer at night by yourself, like a few nights a week and a little bit on the weekend, but to engage with the world and to work with other people, like that's not going to be a 10 PM to midnight gig, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, first that congratulations. That's incredible. I think uh, that's a goal and a dream for many people to have their personal project, their creative project, the work that they've done for years, then put into one huge project. And then the world tells you, you know what, that project is incredible. And we need you to do that now full time. Yeah. It was very gratifying. And, uh, and so that's been a little bit surprising of once you put the book out and the workout, then receiving that outcome has been a surprise to you. Well, I believed in the book. I wouldn't put it out if I didn't 
believe in it and believe in the value that it held for people. And I also, you know, like any good author had gotten just lots of lots of feedback from people um, in the audience that it's written for who like beta tested it and beta read it and gave me that feedback. And I could see how it was resonating with people uh, who it's intended to be, you know, read by. And so I had a sense already of like, I'm really proud of this. The people that it's written for, you know, in my test group are saying this is working for them, just like you would beta test any other app or service or project that you're putting out into the world. So you should check with people first. You should do user testing, um, which I did with the book and most people do that. And so there was already a sense of like, I believe this meets the need that I've identified at the start of this project. And I believe I've done the absolute best work that I can. And so here we go. And I read a quote one time, it was another author who said, you know, when you write a book and you put it in the world, it takes on its own life. Like it doesn't, fully belong to you anymore. It belongs to the world and you don't know what the world is going to do with it, what the relationship with the world is going to be. But there's this sense of possibility and openness, right? Like I was like, well, if only 10 people read it, like that could happen. And I was like, or a million people could read it. You don't know what's going to happen. And so I did as much as I could to like prepare it for success. And there's like a lot of things you do as an author to do that. But honestly, David, like the velocity with which uh, it went out, I was getting positive feedback. And again, these requests for collaboration and partnership and facilitation and consulting and all these things that I was like, whoa, this is actually more than I was expecting. And that's amazing. And I'm really happy about that. So like, yes, I would love to do that all the time. Um, because this is the thing, this is what I'm on earth to do is to help people learn and grow and thrive and to use my creativity to help people have meaningful connection. Again, whether that's in their personal life in their professional life, in their workplace. You know, I was speaking at two conferences last week about creating authentic connection at work because workplace loneliness is a big deal and we don't often talk about it. We talk about belonging and, and equity, but you have to say the word and it's loneliness for a lot of people. And there's shame around that. And there's a lot of missed conversations about that at work and at home. And I want to make this accessible for people and I want it to feel inviting and doable, like as something that you can address, you can succeed at having the connection that you want. And whether that's through I'm consulting with an app that helps people connect and get over social anxiety, or whether I'm doing that through facilitating groups, like that is what I'm here for. Love it. So Kat, do you think that some of the issues that are affecting the workplace and obviously, you know, current situation with COVID-19 and, and you know, how work has really just dramatically changed so quickly. Do, do you believe that some of the issues that some people are facing, it's related to a, like a design issue where people have not been able to or did not design their careers related to who they are and their values? Do, do you see anything related that way in terms of a, people not being able to find work that's related to the values and, and who, they, who they are and how they want to show up? Mm. The thing that gives me pause about the way maybe that is phrased is it sounds like the like there's blame involved on a person for not sticking to their values or something. And mm -hmm. I, I don't like this. Like I would not want to frame anything in that way um, because I understand that sometimes work is work and people just got to have their job. And so not everybody has the privilege of saying that they can have 
the utopian version of work that is a hundred percent expression of like their personal values and beliefs and passions. Uh, I think that's, yeah, I just know that that is not a reality for a lot of people. Sometimes work just is work and it's a job. Um, I think it's an amazing privilege to be able to have work that does like make at the center those things that are like a person's passion and values and, and that sort of thing. So I, I hesitate with the framing of that, that it's like, all, like it's only the person's fault because mm-hmm. I do believe that companies and organizations also have a responsibility to serve their people well. And they don't only serve their customers well, but they need to serve their employees well. Their employees are also their customers. And with that, what I mean is if companies truly want to be successful, they need to think about what is the person's experience when they come into that work environment? Do they feel safe? Do they feel supported? Do they feel that if they have an issue, they will be cared for or are they going to be rejected? If they express that something's important to them in the workplace, will they be supported in bringing that to fruition or will they be shut down? You know, these are the things that I'm actually more interested in talking about related to that question of how work relates to loneliness or connection or disconnection um, is really the environment's ability to support the expression of the things that bring healthy connection or the things that stifle creativity, that shut down people's voices and that um, make you know work a soul deadening experience. <laughs> um, there is design involved in the workplace culture and that is fully within the hands, I think, of the organizations and people leading them. Got it. Okay. And also, I agree it is a, it is a privilege. And uh, also, maybe it sounds like people could also find their own outlets on their own, too, similar to the way that you did on your own previously mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, because I also don't believe that work is everything in life or that that's the only reason we're alive. I think it's um, a wonderful honor and privilege to be able to express, you know, the things that I'm curious about and passionate about and um, really devoted to in my work. But I also, you know, a long time ago, I had a friend and he said to me, he's like, you know, I can really only have two kinds of jobs. One that I'm 100% all the way in, like everything I'm about is expressed in that job. Or I need a job that's like, doesn't tax me mentally, emotionally, or spiritually at all. Like I can just like do it on autopilot with my eyes closed. And that leaves me, you know, all of this leftover creative energy to use in my free time on the shit that I want to do. You know, sorry for cursing on the stuff that I want to do. But, you know, his view when he said that it made total sense because it's an acknowledgement that work is, is an expression of our life energy. And whether we're doing that work for a paycheck and that is where we express that life energy, um, whether you can get it at work or whether you're going to do it on your own time, I think it's important for a person to have it. And I think it's not necessary to always be the way that you're earning your paycheck. It doesn't make it any less valid if it's something that you do on the side. And it evolves too. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, one, one thing that also I, th- I think about um, is um, the random breaks and, and moments and experiences that happen. And sometimes it's you know, a new community, a new friend. Um, and sometimes it can be a, a, an email from a, a prospective client, partner, collaborator, et cetera. Um, has there been an example where, you know, one email um, or one kind of decision has made a meaningful impact on your, uh, your journey, Kat? You know, the thing that comes to mind is the voluntary kindness of a stranger. So, 
for example, one of the people who I got an email from very shortly after the book was released, like I, I feel like it was the same week or the, or the next week after the book came out. And it was from a guy named Hugh Weber, who I had never met and never heard of. And he was, he's, he's a designer, right? And he's, he's run multiple communities. He's all about connection. He um, has done a lot of work with design organizations and run design magazines and things of that nature. And it was just the kindest email where he was just basically saying like, I read your book over the weekend, like the opening weekend. I 100% believe in what you're saying. This is what the world needs right now. How can I support you? How can I amplify your work? How can I use my resources to lift you up? And honestly, David, it just like brought tears to my eyes because it was more than just saying like, wow, I loved your book, which is a great feeling. And I love when people write a review that says that. But what he was saying was not just like, thank you for this thing. I read it and I liked it. But he was saying, I believe in this thing so much. I want to help you do more of this thing that you're obviously passionate and good at, passionate about and good at. And it was just the kindness of the invitation and the willingness to share his platform, his resources, his privilege to help amplify another person whose work he believed in, which happened to be me. And it was just like one of the most incredible validating experiences that I've had in this whole process. And that was like one in like a domino chain of things that occurred. And it's really moments like that, David, that make it so real and that make it so fulfilling. Mm. And anybody could do that. And anybody can do that. Anybody can do that. If there is somebody in the world whose work you admire or whose writing you're grateful for, send them a letter. Like everyone's easy to find, but you can DM them on social media or find their email on the contact form on their website. But seriously, like take 10 minutes and tell somebody thank you for what they've offered the world. And if you have a way to amplify or, or spread it or lift it up or offer them a connection, like do that. Cause that is the stuff that makes, it just makes everything grow. It's like fertilizer on plants. It's just like, it just makes it grow more beautifully. And it is such a gift to any creative endeavor or person who's out there. So thank you. <laughs> Hugh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, this, this conversation has made me feel uh, totally alive, Kat. Um, and I'm so grateful for it. And, and thank you so much for your time and for Listeners that are out there that want to learn more about your work, buy your book, amplify your ideas, how, how can they learn more and, and, and connect with you? Yeah. So if anyone is interested in uh, working with me, either as a product design or user experience design consultant, or as a facilitator or coach for teams or groups, they can find me at my personal website, which is catvelos.com, K-A-T-V-E-L-L-O-S. And if they want to connect around my book and the events that I'm doing around connection, um, whether it's talks or workshops, or they want to like learn more about the books, check it out, see what else is happening in that sphere, like in the blog and stuff, they can go to weshouldgettogether.com uh, if you're interested in human connection uh, in your personal life or work life. And if you want to work with me directly, go to catvelos.com. Amazing. Thank you so much, Kat. Really appreciate it. All right. Thank you too, David. Hey, friend. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. Wanted to also let you know about my monthly newsletter called One Email Away, where 
I fundamentally believe that we are all one email away from new opportunities. And if there's a way that I could potentially help you to connect with other people, I would love to do that. So one email away, um, you can sign up for my newsletter on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. You can also see the one email away section, but just want to take this moment to say thank you for, for listening to this episode. Really excited for us to build and grow our portfolio careers together.